Welcome back for this fireside chat at the FreightWaves Carrier Summit. My name is Kevin Hill. I'm joined here by David Robinson, who's a partner at the Scopolitas law firm based out of Indianapolis. He specializes in HR and hiring uh, law for transportation companies specifically. How are you doing today, David? Great, Kevin. It's nice to join you today. Very good. Could you give our audience a, a little bit of background of Scopolitas and kind of your uh, your, your practice in, in particular? Sure. The, the Scopolitas firm is a transportation law firm. Uh, we focus on, on the transportation industry, kind of a niche uh, um, topic for us. Uh, within the transportation industry, uh, I focus my practice on labor and employment issues. And so, um, you know, a lot of what I deal with are the topics that, that we're going to talk about today. Uh, both from screening drivers and working with recruiters. And so uh, this is a topic near and dear to my heart. I, I, I like to talk to clients about this. I like to uh, uh, help them navigate issues that both come up and then, you know, hopefully preventing things before they come up. Um, and I've been doing this for uh, 30 years this summer. That's great. And uh, let's, say, let's, let's start at the, the beginning of the process, which is really recruiting drivers. It's a very competitive market. And, uh, you know, recruiters are, are certainly incentivized to, to uh, attract drivers into the screening process, make it through the screening process and get hired, where they're then managed by safety and, and fleet operations. And, and there's some, you know, there's some friction always between those two departments, between recruiting and operations and safety and, and, and the fleet department. What do you think those are based off of? Well, I, I, I like to think about it in, in a well-run organization. I like to think of it as maybe a healthy tension. Um, I think all of the all of those departments you've named have their own specific motivations. Uh, safety obviously has the very justifiable motivation of of hiring and retaining only the safest drivers. Uh, operations obviously has justifiably motivated by running on time and running profitably. And then within the recruiter field, you know, I work with a lot of recruiters. I know what their world is like in this environment. It's a really challenging job. Uh, there, there is a lot of competition. I think overall, though, I think all of, you know, in all of those departments, I think the goals are aligned in general um, with, with the differing motivations that they have. They are all trying to operate successfully. Um, I, I have no doubt that as incentivized as these recruiters are, perhaps, to get numbers in, they're looking for qualified drivers. That They know they do well when the company does well and that these people are retained. Um, so I think there's some healthy tension there. I think there's some checks and balances that goes on. Um, somebody's going to look over the shoulder of a recruiter that is bringing in drivers. Um, and I, I just think that tension is probably... If there is a little bit of healthy tension there, it's probably a good thing and it's probably working. Do you think there's a, there's a way for, for companies, what do you think makes the most sense in incentivizing or compensating recruiters to, to more closely align those goals between those two, those two departments? Yeah, I think there are a lot of ways to do it. Um, I see carriers um, who incentivize it financially on kind of a number system with, with respect to commissions and bonuses that would be offered for successful recruits. Um, and, and even within that, I see that staged differently. Um, if someone makes it to orientation, 
you know, there is a there is a trigger that happens that gets somebody a commission or a bonus. Um, other companies want to see that person stay on six months, perhaps, or at least get seated in a truck. Um, I think most of companies are probably, when they incentivize that way, are doing it based on who makes it through orientation, who, who makes it actually into the seat of a truck. Um, obviously, a commission can be motivating for people. That, that gets people out there. They want their numbers to look good. And in this extremely challenging recruiting environment, that can get some pretty motivated people out there working on your behalf and bringing in drivers. So that's one way I see people doing it. Um, I think if you're going to be doing it that way, you ought to be separating perhaps your recruiting function from the screening function. There should be a separation. Uh, there should be perhaps, and, and this is what I usually see, is a, a safety representative then takes the, the recruit and fully screens them for, for safety purposes. Um, I think the recruiters who are incentivized that way know that there are certain minimum qualifications that have to be met. But beyond that, there is some separate arm that is actually handling the full screening. Um, I know of other carriers that operate a little differently and don't incentivize that way and simply pay a, a substantial salary to a recruiter uh, and say, you know, we're not that interested in high numbers from you. What we're interested in are good, quality, safe drivers coming in and, and us being able to retain them. And in that, in that kind of setting, you might have your recruiters doing more screening because they know that their you know, financial outcome is not dependent on this person just making it into the seat of a truck. And after that, I'm not worried because I've, I've hit my bonus. And so I, I think both ways are fine and healthy. But I think if you're going to do a, a commission, a, a profit, you know, a incentive to get them out there, my recommendation would be to kind of separate the screening and have a full screening done by somebody in safety after the initial recruitment. Yeah, I agree. And certainly on a compensation plan, being around sales and bonuses and commissions uh, most of my life, there is no great, perfect uh, compensation plan for, for commissions. There's, there's always a give and, and take in there somewhere. Uh, there, there certainly is. I, moving on to the screening. So when we talk about screening, that there's some formalities that, that go in there which have a lot of gray areas. And it's hard to adhere to all these regulatory uh, issues. Some are local, some are state, some are federal. But if we look at uh, specifically background checks right now, uh, what do you see most carriers, uh, what, what do they really need to look out for? Well, it's certainly a hot topic right now in our world, um, certainly takes up a lot of my time, is, is noncompliance with the Fair Credit Reporting Act. And this is a federal statute that, that employers have to comply with if they want to conduct background checks using third-party consumer reporting agencies. And so if you're going to use one of these companies to get a background check, like a criminal history report or an MVR, you know, a record of their MVRs, you have to comply with the Fair Credit Reporting Act, and it's a really very technical statute that is hard to comply with. What aren't trucking companies doing right and, and carriers doing right in this process? Two big mistakes that, that we see, and, and, and these are the two big requirements of the statute. As an industry, historically, we've been pretty bad at this, in my opinion. Um, on the front end of the hiring process, when you have an applicant in front of you and they're applying, you have to use a, a compliant 
disclosure form that discloses that you're going to go get a background check using the third-party consumer reporting agency, and you have to get their written authorization to do that. Now, in my experience, companies at least are getting a form in front of somebody that is being signed. The problem is that the statute's really technical as to the language that can be in there and that cannot be in there. And so the, the first count we see in these lawsuits, these class action lawsuits that are filed, are that a company is either not using a disclosure and authorization form on the front end, or it's using one that has language in it that invalidates it. And as I said, I review a lot of these, and we're not getting that part right. That brings up the question, do most carriers use a third-party vendor to kind of facilitate that documentation? Yeah, yeah. In my experience, it's, it's just too time-intensive to have your own staff on hand in your, in your screening department perform these kind of checks, that the system is slick enough now and it's cost-effective enough now with these companies that, that it's... That's what everybody's doing. It's kind of strange a little bit that the vendors don't have the regulations right because that's kind of what their, their business is all about, right? Right. They do. And, and understand that that statute puts lots of requirements on those vendors also, uh, separate requirements as consumer reporting agencies that are on them. Uh, as a whole, we're all getting better at this. Uh, th these, these lawsuits have highlighted that you better be getting this part right. So that's kind of the front end thing we're not getting right. On the back end is, is when you make a decision not to hire somebody, and that decision is based in whole or in part on that consumer report that you got, then there is an adverse action notice process that has to happen. You need to make written notice to these applicants that, that we've made a preliminary decision we're not going to hire you based on information in the consumer report. If you have any additional information you want us to consider, let us know. Um, and, and, and then send out a second letter that is a final. Uh, as an in industry, we have been horrible on the back-end requirement. And so that's the second count we see in these lawsuits. We're defending lots of these right now. I urge all carriers, and I have for years, actually, I've been urging all carriers to take a second look at their Fair Credit Reporting Act compliance protocol. Make sure you have the front end and the back end requirements fulfilled. And you highlighted this yesterday in our, in our conversation about the agility, agility tests that, that are giving uh, pre-employment and how sometimes those, you know, not the same vendors, but other vendors who do those, those tests kind of cross into measurements like blood pressure, heart rate, which are, based on the ADA, something completely different. There, there's good value in an agility test. And, and when I say agility test, let me explain what I mean. It's not what we think of as an agility test. It is, is really uh, movements that mimic the job. And it may, be, um, it may be actually putting a tarp up onto uh, a flatbed, or it may be lifting a weight that mimics that movement. And so you're just trying to see that they can do the things that they need to do, climbing in and out of the truck, those kinds of tasks. If it's a true agility test where you're just seeing if they can do tasks, that's not a medical exam. You can, you can conduct an agility test either on a pre-offer or on a post-offer basis. So those are a fairly easy analysis. But as you mentioned, um, there are a lot of good vendors out there who are designing these tests. And there's a lot of science behind, here are the tasks you should do for this job. They have occupational you know, therapists forming these tasks. And there's a lot of 
thought and science put into it. The problem is when you when you contract with them to conduct that screening, um, they naturally want to make sure people are safe to, to do the agility test, and they may take heart rate measurements and blood pressure readings before and after the agility test. And when you do those things, you, you cross the line, and that becomes a medical exam. And so then the ADA kicks in, and at that point, you can only do a medical exam after a, a conditional offer of employment has been given. And so what I've been urging employers to do is take a look, close look at your agility test. If you're not sure, uh, talk to your vendor. Uh, talk to the folks who are conducting the tests and find out if these kind of physical measurements are being taken. And, and then you may need to make a decision on whether to move that to a post-offer basis. But we're seeing a lot of that because these, these agility tests are useful. Uh, you just need to make sure you're handling them at the right spot in the process. So lastly, uh, there's been a lot of change in criminal, criminal background checks and uh, a lot of confusion between local state uh, notices or, or regulations. Uh, what, what should carriers know about, uh, about conducting those tests? Yeah, so uh, criminal history is, is a frequent factor in, in, in hiring programs, um, and, and I recommend that it be a factor. Um, uh, what we've seen over the past, oh, 10 years or so is this mosaic of laws across the country. Uh, some of them are, are local and city. Um, some of them are state. We now have about, oh, 17 or 18 states that have have statewide ban-the-box laws. Um, and, and so let's talk about ban-the-box laws for a minute. And I can explain what that means and the origin of that term. These are states that have enacted a statute that said private employers cannot have a box on their application that asks about criminal history in the initial application. And so in those states, employers are removing the criminal history box from their application and moving it to a stage later in the process. Because these statutes allow you to ask it. They just require that it be after, they're usually phrased as after an interview or after a conditional offer of employment. And so for, for employers who are just in those states, it's pretty easy. You comply with that statute and you're okay. But for national employers, like, like a lot of carriers, a lot of transportation companies uh, have terminals in many locations, hire you know, drivers from many, many different states. It's really hard to navigate this mosaic of laws that's out there and and decide, you know, I'm going to ask that question for candidates from this state, but I'm not going to ask it for candidates from this state. And two months from now, another state will enact a statute. So it's really hard. And what I'm finding is that most of, most of my clients who are national employers, who have a wide sweep of who they're hiring from, you know, states they're hiring from, they've made the decision to simply remove this from their application, their initial application altogether, and move it to a point later in the process to avoid the problem and not navigate it on a case-by-case -case basis. So, you know, take a look at, at your applications. Uh, take a look at the states you're drawing applicants from. And, and make sure you don't run any, any uh, ban-the-box violations for, for those states. Yeah, regulatory and legal issues are always a minefield in trucking and, and logistics, and, and HR is, is one of those minefields, and it's, it's hard to, to navigate. 
thank you very much for your time, David, and um, you know, stay tuned for our next session. Hey, I enjoyed it. These are fun topics. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, David.